0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. <clears throat> Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Happy New Year. How did you know, Jason? He just knew. It's the Ruach. Yes. Happy New Year, everyone. Everyone out there in Facebook Live land, Happy New Year. So what's your uh, a New Year's resolution? Clarine, you have one? These people are looking a little blindsided. Jason, did you have a New Year's resolution? Uh, no, for, for this New Year, for, for this week. What? Oh, Oh, my goodness. Well... Uh, I'm sure you're wondering what I'm talking about, perhaps, all right? Well, as it turns out, this coming week is the beginning of the spring month of Aviv, also known as Nissan. Uh, No relation to the car company, I think. And we're going from the month of Adar, which is the story of Purim, to the month of... What's coming up? What do we read about? I need some interaction here, people, that... (laughs) Passover, that's right. Okay, Pesach. So today, as we mentioned before, is a special Shabbat known as Shabbat HaChodesh, or Shabbat of the Month. It is the closest Shabbat to the beginning of the spring month, Nisan, the month of Passover. And the beginning of Nisan is like another new year in the biblical calendar. We actually read about that in our, uh, in our special reading, if you were paying attention. Uh, it, is, it is the month of the redemption from Egypt, so it's like a resetting of the clocks, right? It's another new year, it's another day for renewal, kind of like uh, daylight savings time. Wasn't that fun, everyone? Yeah, okay. So uh, here's how the beginning of our special Torah reading puts it, and we read this earlier just to remind ourselves. This is from Exodus 12. Verses 1 and 2. Now Adonai spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, which is Nisan, will mark the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year for you. So that means it's a what? It's a, it's a reset. It's a happy new year. Woo-woo! Yeah. That's, that's not a shofar. That's the little uh, thing that comes... Anyway. All right. Well, because they were about to be rescued... God wanted Israel to orient their whole calendar around this month and this event. That makes sense, right? Now is the time to start preparing for the Passover meal, to start getting rid of that chametz, that leavening and those crumbs in your house. It's a good time for spring cleaning. It's a good time to prepare for redemption. Our hearts and minds are looking forward to Pesach or Passover, This is what Eitz Chaim, which is the Torah commentary used in conservative Judaism, says about this this idea. Quote, one of the first steps in the process of liberation was for the Israelites to have their own calendar, their own way of keeping track of time and recalling the most important days of their people's history. A slave does not control his or her time. They're mentioning that because we were slaves in Egypt. It belongs to someone else. Hirsch wrote that the Jewish calendar is the Jewish catechism, for it is the most concise summary of what we remember and what we stand for. Why does Israel count by the moon, with each month starting when the new moon emerges? Because the moon, unlike the sun, waxes and wanes, nearly disappears, then grows bright again. So the Jewish people go through cycles of prosperity and suffering, Knowing that even in darkness, there are brighter days ahead. Just as God showed Noah the rainbow as a sign of the covenant, God shows Moses the sliver of the new moon as a symbol of Israel's capacity for constant renewal." Unquote. In other words, the beginning of the month is the beginning of the, the moon cycle, right? That's we understand that. And we are a piece of the body of Israel, and so we are joined to the moon in our time, in our marking out of the calendar, the waxing and the waning. Today we are starting over with a new year of sorts, or rather later this week, the beginning of Nisan. Passover is 14 days from this beginning of the month, this kind of new year. And it's in the middle of the month, right? So if we have a new moon now. When Passover comes, what will the moon look like? It will be full, exactly. Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the month, it gives way to Yom Kippur and then Sukkot, which is in the middle of the month, right? From the new moon to the full moon and back. Moon rise, moon set, moon rise, moon set. Thusly flow the feast, one festival following another. They tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. Thank you very much. Also available for bar mitzvahs. Okay, the Greek, the Greek scriptures also have this mindset. Consider the opening of the Besorah of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Let's count the generations. This is the genealogy of Yeshua. The book of the genealogy of Yeshua HaMashiach, son of David, son of Abraham. Are you going to count with me? We're going to go fast. Here we go. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Amminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David the king. How many generations is that? Fourteen. Very interesting. Okay. Uh, do we want to go through all of them or you get the idea? Let's do all of them. David fathered Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam followed Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. Asa fathered Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat fathered Joram. Joram fathered Uzziah. Uzziah fathered Jotham. Jotham fathered Ahaz. Fathered Ahaz fathered Hezekiah. Hezekiah fathered Manasseh. Manasseh fathered Amon, Amon fathered... Josiah, and Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Right? So we so starting with Solomon, how many generations is that? Fourteen. Okay? All right? But we're, we notice we're going to the exile in Babylon. Make a note of that. Okay? So we're in the exile. All right? And now we're coming back. After the Babylonian exile, Jeconiah fathered she, uh, so Shealtiel, so we'll start with him. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel father Abiud, Abiud father Elikim, Elikim fathered Azor, Azor fathered Zadok, Zadok father Achim, Achim father Eliud, Eliud fathered Eliezer, Eliezer fathered Matan, Matan fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Miriam, from whom was born Yeshua, who is called the Messiah. So starting with, sorry, Jeconiah, I should have started with him. How many generations is that? Fourteen, okay? So, this is what it says in the Gospel of Matthew. So, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the Babylonian exile are 14 generations. From the Babylonian exile until the Messiah are 14 generations. Why does this matter? Not only is the calendar based on the waxing and waning of the moon, but the people of Israel as well are based on this. Fourteen generations waxing from Abraham to David, right? It goes up, remember? And think about what happened before Abraham, right? What was happening? You had the flood, you had evil, you had the Tower of Babel, so things were kind of going down, down, and then you have Abraham, right? And then things are going up, right? And the kingdom was at the height of its prosperity, when? under the kingdom of David and his son Solomon. That's like the, the, the full moon, right? You had prosperity in the land. You had peace among their neighbors. You had justice in the courts, right? You had uh, 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 restorative justice for the poor, right? Everything was going well during that time, right? But then 14 generations took us down, 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 down to what? The kings after Solomon weren't so good, and we ended up In exile, right. Okay, so the moon wanes. That's 14 generations, like 14 days, right? And then from the exile to the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Most likely, also, the gospel writer is also using the name David as a number. You know, every word in Hebrew corresponds to a number. It's called gematria. Aleph is one, Bet is two, Gimel is three, etc., So if you take the name David, David, what is the number that it corresponds to? Let's do a little bit of math, okay? So the first letter is Dalid, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid. How many is that? Four, okay? So you have four. Then you have a Vav, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid, Hey, Vav. How many is that? Six. You have a four, and then a six, and then another Dalid is four. David, right? So, how much is four plus six plus four? Fourteen. Right. So, so what is the, what is the gospel writer doing here? He's using the name David as a symbol of fourteen. The waxing, it's half a moon cycle, right? The waxing and waning, the fourteen generations. Make sense? So, this brings us to this week's Haftarah portion, which is quite unique because it comes from a unique book, Ezekiel. Much of this book has symbolic imagery, which should not be taken literally, in order to make a point. Ezekiel is pointing us to something. Ezekiel describes a kind of a future temple and some sacrifices, but it's not like the temple in Solomon's day, and it's not like the tabernacle of Moses. There's some differences, some key differences. It's a future vision, a symbolic vision. And more importantly, there's another person involved here that was not involved in the sacrifices of the temple and the tabernacle. And this person is Hanasi, usually translated the prince. So there's this figure, the prince, that's involved here in the future temple of Ezekiel. So who is that? In the Haftara portion, Ezekiel, it describes what's going to happen for the festival of Passover, but it's a little bit different. So for Shabbat HaChodesh, the Shabbat of the new month, we'll, let's start in Ezekiel 45. Here's the opening of the Haftarah portion. Um, and we read a little bit of this earlier. All of the people of the land must give this contribution to the prince in Israel. Hmm, not the priest, the prince. It will be the prince's role to give the burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the, at the feasts the new moons, and the Shabbatot, in all the Moedim, the appointed times of the house of Israel. Notice Ezekiel is calling attention to the new moons, and he's going to call attention to two specific festivals. He will prepare the sin offering, the meal offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offerings to make atonement for the house of Israel. So here we notice, as I said, a new person in Ezekiel's vision. The prince is overseeing all the offerings, not the priest. All right, let's continue in verse 18. Thus says Adonai Elohim, in the first month, on the first day of the month, which is what? The beginning of Nisan, beginning of the Passover month. Take a young bull without blemish and purify the sanctuary. The Kohen will take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the house with a capital H and upon the four corners of the ledge of the altar, and upon the posts of the gate of the inner court. So you will do on the seventh day of the month for everyone who sins unintentionally or through ignorance. So you will make atonement for the house, with a capital H. So this is different from the first Passover sacrifice. How? The first Passover, they take the blood of the lamb, and where do they put it? On the doorposts of their house, right? there Where they live. But this is... In the future vision of Passover, where is it? It's on the doorposts of the temple itself, the house of the Lord. It's sanctifying the space, purging the space of the holy temple. Let's continue. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, right? So this is the fullness of the moon. What happens? There's a festival. Pesach, right you will have the Passover, a feast of seven days when matzah will be eaten. On that day, the prince will prepare a bull as a sin offering for himself and for all the people of the land. Someone say that with me, for himself and for all the people of the land. Who's preparing that? The prince, not the priest. He will prepare a burnt offering to Adonai for the seven days of the feast seven bulls and seven rams without blemish daily for seven days and a male goat daily for a sin offering. He will prepare a grain offering, an ephah for a bull, an ephah for a ram and a hen of oil for each ephah. He will do this in the seventh month on the 15th day of the month during the feast for seven days for sin offering as well as burnt offering, grain offering as well as oil. Okay, did you catch there's another festival in here? Did you catch that? Normally, the priest does two offerings. So in the Torah, it says the priest goes in and does an offering, one for himself, and then next for who? The people of Israel. Right. The prince, Hanasi, here in Ezekiel's vision, only does one offering because he is included among the people. He is identifying with the people of Israel. And so, let's look at this other offering that is mentioned. I said it was in the seventh month on the 14th day, in the middle of the month. What what festival is that? Sukkot. That's right. And it happens to be exactly six months from the Passover sacrifice in the first month, right? In the middle of the first month and the middle of the seventh month are exactly six months apart. In other words, the entire calendar in Ezekiel's vision is based on these two major festivals. Ezekiel's temple vision mentions Shabbat. It mentions Rosh Kodesh, the beginning of the month. It mentions uh, the, the new months, which are marked by the moon. But it doesn't mention any other festivals that are in the Torah, any other sacrifices. The Torah talks about sacrifices in Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Called Yom Teru'ah, the day of the trumpet, Yom Kippur, obviously very important, the day of atonement. Ezekiel skips over all of these. But why? What does he have? He's got Passover and he's got Sukkot. Ezekiel is an exile book. It opens up in the beginning and they're outside of the land. They're scattered among the nations for gross sin and rebellion. And Ezekiel is celebrating his 30th birthday when he would finally get to become a priest. But there's no temple. The temple was ransacked. So guess what? He's out of a job. His entire calling and vocation are waylaid. Because why? Because they're in exile. He's a Kohen. He's a priest without a temple. I can't think of anything worse than that. I'm sure many of us can relate to old Ezekiel, right? Because of this global virus, many industries have been affected, and many are anxious and concerned. Schools have been shut down, businesses have been shut down or slowed down, kind of like the exile that Ezekiel experienced. But then in Ezekiel 1, after we're seeing this sad picture of this priest without a temple, guess what? He has one of the most famous visions of what I like to call the God mobile, right? The chariot where the presence of God, it, it's supposed to be, where is it supposed to be? It's supposed to be in the temple, right? It's now appearing to Ezekiel in what is modern day Syria, the river Kebar. The idea is that God is present with us in the exile. In times of anxiety, when we're far away from God, what does he do? He moves to be even closer. God does not practice social distancing. Baruch Hashem, right? Because we need His presence. Psalm 34, verses 18 and 20 puts it like this. The righteous cry out and Adonai hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Adonai is close to the brokenhearted and saves those crushed in spirit. Many are the distresses of the righteous, but Adonai delivers him out of them all. Perhaps we can meditate on these scriptures this week, right? That God is close to those that are, that are hurting. That God would bring shalom into our hearts and into the hearts of our loved ones. Amen? So we see with Ezekiel, he's emphasizing these two holidays, right? Which are what? Pesach and Sukkot. So let's think about Sukkot. What is that all about? That is the season of joy. What is God doing? He is tabernacling with us. It's God with us. And then we have the joy of Passover, which is when God rescues us. In the future temple vision of Ezekiel, we spend the entire year going from rescuing to the presence of God with us and then back to rescuing. That's his vision for the future temple. The divine presence remains even in exile with God's people. The temple might be destroyed, but we envision the new temple whereby he protects us from destruction. He rescues us from destruction. This is a season of hope for God's people in the midst of exile, in the midst of our troubles. Amen? Then there is this mysterious figure, Hanasi, the prince, who suddenly has a role in this new temple. He hasn't been mentioned in the Torah before. Jewish scholars say this figure represents the seed of King David. This is non-Messianic Jewish scholars saying, I think this is the son of David, who will one day oversee all of the offerings and will himself bring an offering along with the people. Why is that? Why would a prince lower himself and be among the people's sacrifice? Why would he count himself among the people of Israel? Picking up in Ezekiel 46, which is the second half of our Haftarah portion, provides a clue. Thus says Adonai Elohim, the gate of the inner court that faces the east, somebody say east, (coughs) will be shut for the six working days. On Yom Shabbat, it will be opened. And the day of the new moon, it will be opened. The prince will enter by way of the porch of the gate from the outside, and stand by the post of the gate. So where is he? He's in the east of the temple, the east gate. Then the Kohanim, the priest, will prepare his burnt offering and his fellowship offerings. He will worship at the threshold of the gate and then go out. The gate will not be shut until the evening. Then it says, the people of the land will worship at the door of that gate before Adonai on Shabbatot and new moons. Remember, the temple, the actual temple, it had all these restrictions, right? People of Israel normally couldn't approach the gate. Who could? Who, who, who are the only people that could go in the old temple? Just the priests, right? And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and only that was once a year. But in Ezekiel's temple, the holiness is doing something. It's radiating outward. The access to the presence of God is greater. The people can enter the east gate because, guess what? That's where the prince enters. The people can approach the gate of Adonai because of the prince, who is, in some ways, he's unique among Israel, and in other ways, he's identifying with Israel. Holiness is radiating outward from the east gate. This is a theme in Ezekiel. In other parts of Ezekiel, we see the river of life. That brings fish and plants back to the Dead Sea. Where does that start? In the East Gate. The Gate of the Lord in the new temple of Ezekiel is where the Shekinah, the presence of God, resides. Instead of just the high priest, now we have all Israel functioning as a kingdom of priests, as a holy nation, which is what they were and are supposed to be. There is no ark in the temple vision. If you read all through Ezekiel, you won't see an ark anywhere. I thought that was important, right? Why is that? Because the presence of God goes beyond the holy of holies, beyond the ark, where, where, uh, where the ark would be. But rather it fills the whole temple, and then it spills outward. Instead of just the temple, the entire city is holy, filled with the presence of God. The east gate is where the Pre, the, the prince, who is the vice regent of God, he sits and offers his sacrifice along with the people, and then he goes in and comes out with them. The prince lives among his people. This is what is referred to in the Psalms when we speak of the gates of righteousness. Have you ever read that or sung a song about the gates of righteousness and wondered what that meant? This is the eastern gate in the future temple of Ezekiel. <clears throat> and uh, let's, uh, let's read from uh, that scripture here. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and praise Adonai. This is the gate of Adonai. The righteous will enter through it. Right? Does that sound familiar? I think there's a Ted Pierce song that, uh, that we sang in this sanctuary that has the same idea. So let's sing this to the tune of Ted Pierce, this phrase, And imagine ourselves entering the presence of God in the temple of Ezekiel, along with the prince, who is Yeshua the Messiah. Open to me, open to me, open to me, the gates of righteousness. Open to me, open to me, open to me, me, the gates of righteousness and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord, and I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Thank God for Ted Pierce, amen. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's pray. Avinu, thank you that we can enter the gates of your righteousness um, because of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah, because he has offered a sacrifice uh, and and partakes in the sacrifice of his people, O God. And we identify with him and we can enter the future temple of your, your splendor and your glory. And uh, we can uh, experience your presence even in exile, even in uh, quarantine. You can be there with us. Even when we're struggling, you are there with us. You are the God that is present, tabernacles with us in Sukkot, and the God that rescues us in Passover. And we look forward to our Passover Seder when we proclaim that you are the rescuer and you are a king. And we thank you for Um, these uh, scriptures that you've given us to comfort us and to guide us in this time. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.